Well, good morning. My name is Brian Asker. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossview Rosa Parks, along with my wife, Sandy. And this past week, we were on vacation in Florida. Yes, it was fantastic. The sun was beautiful. It was warm. When we came home on Wednesday, it was a rude awakening. If you remember Wednesday, there was a snowstorm, sleet storm, and we got to brush off all of the ice and snow. I'm also grateful to all of you who made church happen last week so that we could go on vacation. Thank you. Uh, you're awesome. And you, many of you do this every week, so we're super grateful for you. And obviously, we are no longer needed. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, we love being a part of this, and we're glad to be in partnership with you. Uh, but, you know, it raises the question, what would happen if I were gone? What would happen if you were gone? What if our church was gone and no longer existed? What would happen? Would anybody notice? Would, uh, what wouldn't happen? What wouldn't get done? And who wouldn't be cared for if, you'd, if we as a Crossview Rosa Parks church family and all of the people represented here didn't exist? Now, I think this is a question that we occasionally wrestle with, and I think it's a good question to consider from time to time. We need to be careful that we don't consider it too often because we might consider ourselves worthless, and that is bad because God has created us in his image. God loves us, and God has created us to be on mission with him because God loves us, God is for us, and God wants us similarly to go out into the world and extend God's love and the ways that God is for all people So we are a part of doing that. In today's passage, uh, we're going to look at how God's people had sort of forgotten what their mission was. Uh, We're going to be in the Old Testament today, if you have a Bible and you want to open it up, uh, electronic or otherwise. Jeremiah chapter 29 is the passage that we're going to be in, and uh, we'll also have it up on the screen uh, so you can follow along there as well. Uh, This is part of our four series. We just watched the uh, video about that because, you know, the church is often known for what we are against. And we thought, what if we talked about for a, a series what we are for? What is God for? And therefore, what are we the church for? Of course, you saw our key verses, First John three sixteen. This is love. God is love, and this is love. Uh, this, is what, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And similarly, we are invited, too, to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The first week in our series, we talked about the two sons, the younger son who ran off into the world and squandered all of his wealth and came back home repentant. And we talked about the older son, who stayed home, did all of the right things, but didn't really love his father or his younger uh, brother. And somehow, in the midst of that, God is for both of those people. God loves both of those sons. Uh, The last few weeks, we've talked about how God is for our home, for our workplace uh, and school, and for our church. And this week, we get to talk about how God is for our city. So Jeremiah 29, we're going to begin 
in verse 4. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, if you uh, aren't overly familiar with Old Testament history, let me give you a brief overview here. If you think of things in three-act plays, today is act two. Act one, God established the, city, the, the uh, country of Israel as a great nation, and King David was the pinnacle of that. Israel had expanded. It was amazing. They were a force to be reckoned with in the world. And then when, Dave, when this time came when kings went off to war, David stayed home, and he saw a woman on the balcony of a room of a house nearby, and he decided that he liked her, and he ended up taking her as his wife, having an affair, and murdering her husband. And from there, things began to spiral out of control. And Second Chronicles uh, chapter 36 has a great summary of kind of what happened after a thing spiraled out of control, and it led to a divided kingdom where Israel became two different nations. Uh, so Second Chronicles chapter 36, and we do have that with us up on the screen, you don't have to turn in your Bibles, says, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. Now, a quick word about wrath. Uh, God's primary character trait is love. I want to be clear about that. Uh, but, you know, sometimes as parents, we understand this. We need to allow the natural consequences of our kids' actions to play out, right? And so God's wrath gets played out in that very same way. Uh, also, keep in mind that this summary that we just read is more than 300 years of God sending messengers trying to get the attention of his people to do the things the way that God wanted them to live. So this is multiple generations mocking his messengers, uh, and all that God was trying to do is get them to understand that God loved them and that they were to love others. If we keep reading uh, in the rest of 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we actually see that we see the rest of Act 2 and all the way into Act uh, 3 and the redemption of God's people. But our story today is found in the midst of Act 2, the fall, the not-so-fun section. So they're experiencing pain and the consequences of their actions. They have been exiled, uh, verse 4 tells us. They are in the city of Babylon. Their homes have been destroyed, and they've been carted off to Babylon, the capital city of the conquering nation. It's a little bit like our Ukrainian refugees who have been dispersed, the millions of people who are off in new places in the world. But these Israelites didn't have a choice on where they went. They were kept, taken captive. They were prisoners of war. And it's to these people that God has the words of the rest of Jeremiah 29 to say. In verse 5, he says to these people, build houses and settle down. 
plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So there's two commands here at the beginning. Build and plant. Each of these are activities that you do when you are committed to a place. You don't do these activities when you're sort of in limbo. And if I'm an Israelite, I'm thinking, why would you do that? Our home was just destroyed. This doesn't feel like home. Why would I build and plant and make this my home? Additional instructions of marrying kids and increasing in fruitfulness further that idea that God is saying, make this place home. But that's not all that he says. If, if I'm an Israelite, I could be like, okay, all right, maybe I could handle that. Verse 7 goes on to say, also, seek the, prosperity, uh, the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And I just imagine if I'm an Israelite receiving this message, I'm thinking, wait a second here. No. No way. I do not want to seek the peace and prosperity of the people who have destroyed my home, my homeland, taken me away from my home. And can you believe what he said? He said, our prosperity is tied to their prosperity? No. I don't like that. That's not, that's ludicrous. And you want me to, you want me to pray for them? Not going to happen. This is what I imagine the Israelites are feeling. But Jeremiah is very emphatic. He says, anyone who tells you otherwise is not of God. Don't listen to them. You see, there were prophets among them, people who were telling them that, hey, you're not going to be here that long. So just, you know, survive, do what you have to, and we'll be back in our homelands in just a jiffy. No problems. But they were false prophets, Jeremiah says. They were not telling the truth. And the text even says that the people were actually encouraging these false prophets. They were encouraging these dreams. And why not? Isn't that what you would want to hear if you were an Israelite in exile? It sounds great. But that's not what Jeremiah says. He says, you're going to be here a while. Actually, the text says 70 years. That's a long while. And while you're here, I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, of these people. And that's really hard. 
Even though Israel had done a lot of bad things, and that's why they were in exile, they still saw themselves as God's people, as God's chosen people. And Babylon represented the people group that was against anything and everything that God was for. Not only had they destroyed their home, the temple that they worshipped in, but they were devoted to false gods. They, sexuality, uh, Im, sexual immorality was widespread in Babylonia. And while marriage was often monogamous in the Babylonian culture, they were allowed to take numerous concubines. And cult worship and temple prostitution were common in Babylon. And it's to this group that is doing everything wrong that God calls the Israelites to seek the prosperity and welfare. Mind-blowing if I'm an Israelite. Does this sound crazy to you? Well, here's the irony. If you were here with us during our BLESS series, we talked about how God had called Abraham and had said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Well, Israel was, no, Israel was no longer being the blessing that they had been called to be. So what, what did God do? God moved them to the place where they could be a blessing, where they could seek the prosperity that God was giving them and pass that on to other people. This is craziness in the human mind. It doesn't make sense to us that God would be for these people. But I love this because this sets up the context and helps us to understand the context of one of the most often quoted passages, particularly at graduation ceremonies, which we're coming up on soon. So let's jump in. Verse 10 uh, of chapter 29 says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, to Jerusalem. For, and here it is, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That is good news, friends. And knowing that context, doesn't that seem crazy? Does it just seem crazy to anyone else that God would say these things to these people? I just was, I was dumbfounded this week as I was preparing this. God wants to bless you. God wants you to prosper. Amen, hallelujah. But how many of us are thinking about the fact that that blessing isn't just for me and maybe my friends? It's also for the person that feels like your enemy. The person that's against you, that's harming you. 
But our God is a crazy God. God is for the oppressor and for the oppressed. Just to be clear, he's not for oppression. But God wants the oppressor to experience the goodness and love of God in such a way that maybe their life would be transformed and they would no longer be an oppressor. And God is once again inviting Israel, the chosen nation, to fulfill their original calling. God is reminding them in the midst of their pain and suffering that God is for them. God has plans for them. And that their blessing is also for other people. And sometimes I think we're a little bit like Israel. We get it all messed up. We have this, sometimes we have this fascination with end times theology and we try to figure out what's going to happen in the future. The possibility of when Jesus might come back. There are all these predictions. People like to come up with these things. But what does Scripture say? Scripture tells us to be present, to be here and now, to be faithful to wherever God has you right now. And our hope is rooted in Jesus. The promise of eternal life for sure. But the journey often involves pain and suffering along the way. Discomfort. And in the midst of that, God says, I have plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope and a future and not to harm you. And by the way, those plans are actually for other people too. So the invitation is to invest and to be present wherever God has placed you. And that looks like praying for your city, your state, your country, and all the people and all the leaders of those different institutions, those places. And I think particularly if you feel like they might be against you. Verse 12 goes on to say this. Then, when you've done those things, then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the, all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Hope. We have hope that things will be restored someday. And Jeremiah is talking about that. And chapters 30 through 33 go on and on to talk more about the hope beyond the judgment that they're experiencing. But Jeremiah is a tough book to read. Jeremiah has a lot of judgment to say to the people of Israel who are not living out the ways of the Lord. One writer put it this way, The Lord had expected from his people fidelity, honesty and truth, wisdom, and the practices of godliness. Instead, graft, power, cheating, greed, and perfidy were the order of the day. They were called to be a blessing, but they weren't living into that. And Jeremiah was inviting them again to remember that, to remember their mission, and to seek the prosperity and peace of their city. You know, a few hundred years later, a guy named Jesus came on the scene. 
And Jesus, who was God, began to show the Israelites and us how to live in right relationship with one another and with God. He talked about something called the kingdom of God, where all the things that God wanted to happen would happen. John 1 puts it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What if the people of Crossview ceased to exist? We were no longer here in Mankato and all the places we live and move and breathe and do life. Would people notice? I want to invite you to do the Jesus way. To enter in, to be present in your neighborhood, in the places that you inhabit. I want to invite you into the whole mission of the church. We believe that includes evangelism, Christian formation, and the ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice. We follow Christ's two central calls uh, in Scripture. One is the Great Commission that sends us out into all nations to make disciples. The second is a command to love the Lord our God with all our heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So in in regards to evangelism, I want to invite you to think about who are the people in your neighborhood, your workplace, the places that you do life that God is calling you to befriend, to love and care about, and to invite into a life of Christ and to, to tell them about God's love. In regards to compassion and justice and mercy, who are the people in your neighborhood and in our city that are being overlooked or being hurt or harmed, that are hurting, that need your help, that need our help? There are so many of you that are doing this already. You, are, you understand that God is for our city and you are for our city. And I wanted to highlight just a few of them to inspire us so that even if you're doing some of these things today, that you might consider some other ways that you would be a part of being for our city. So there's one man in our church who hosts a weekly coffee uh, for his coffee hour for his neighbors. Uh, they come and share their lives with each other. He's building community and empathy for one another. There's a woman in our church who walks her neighborhood regularly. She knows everybody in that neighborhood by name. She loves them and prays for them. She hosts, a reg- she hosts regular block parties so that they can get to know each other. And you know what? Some of those people are coming to her weekly Bible study. There's another man in our church who started a business to protect young athletes from concussion. And there are a host of teachers in our church here that show up every day in the schools to love and care for our young next generation. And you know what? Some of them get berated every day. And yet they return again and again because they love and care for these students. As a church, uh, well, yeah, in response uh, to the challenges that the teachers have faced the last couple of years, you know, in January and February, some of you made Valentine cards 
And we gave them to the teachers and administration and staff here at Rosa Parks Elementary. And word on the street, from what I understand, is they were blessed by what you did. As a church, we're committed to bringing a group of people to the wooden spoon each week to help reclaim food that otherwise would get thrown in the dumpster. We prepare meals that get distributed to people who are experiencing food insecurity. And then we also are committed to partnering with Mankato Youth Place, where every kid is empowered to build the confidence, knowledge, and skills needed to reach their full potential because the reality is that not every child has that in their home. These are incarnational stories from our church, from you, people who are practicing out the presence of God in the spaces that you inhabit. You, if you are doing these things, and if you see your neighborhood as a city, and your city as a place to share God's love through a bonfire, a neighborhood party, or by providing a meal for somebody who's hurting and somebody in need, then you are seeking the peace and prosperity of your neighborhood, of your city. And you are practicing the presence of God in our community. And you are for our city like God is for our city. And my hope is that if we as a church can practice the whole gospel of evangelism and Christian formation and live out the ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice, we're going to see more and more people experiencing God's love. And they're going to know that God is for them. And that's how we're going to be for our city. Let's pray. God, thanks for this church. Thank you that we have been doing this together for the last two years. I'm so grateful for all the people here that are part of this, that helped set up the chairs and the stage and the microphones and all the stuff so that people can connect with you each week. And I'm grateful for all those who are out in this community that see their neighborhood as a place to bring your love. And I pray, Lord, that you would help inspire us to do that more and more. Not to neglect it like the Israelites and to get fascinated on some future thing that's going to happen where we get to spend eternity with you, but that we would be focused on the here and now. We would experience your blessings and we would extend them into the places that we reach. So help us, Lord. Amen.